Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning. David Fiorazzo is uh, off on our Tuesday morning. We are live here with special guest Dave Wager from Silver Birch Ranch and Nicolay Bible Institute. And we have lots to learn today about John the Baptist. He's going he's gonna to tell us how to grow in our faith. Even though he is in glory right now, we still get the opportunity to learn from John the Baptist. Dave yes, Wager. If you would open us up in prayer, please. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love, for your mercy, for your grace. Thank you for the opportunity we have to be here today in this country, speaking over the air. And we ask that your spirit will guide us and direct us and that these words will be preserved so that in the future, those who might be uh, somehow benefited from them would be able to listen to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Well, Dave, uh, you know, we are always getting new listeners here to Stand Up For The Truth. Okay. So if you're new to Stand Up For The Truth, our guest today is Dave Wager. Dave, tell us a little bit about yourself for those people that have never heard of you. What? Who is Dave Wager? Well, boy, that's a tough one. <laughs> I, I, I know who I am. Um, I, you know, I grew up in Chicago. My dad was a pastor. He was actually... Uh, mentored by those who started the Iwana Youth Association, and he was their first employee, wrote all their books, that kind of thing, and he was a... a what, sh- what organization? Uh, Iwana Youth Association. Oh, yeah. yeah. No He's, kidding. He wrote all their original books. He started their Olympics. He, he See, I didn't know that. Yeah. He was a guy that was, was very instrumental, uh, but he was a kid who basically was mentored by Art Rohrheim and Doc Latham, the two that... Uh, the pastor and youth pastor of Northside Gospel Center, that actually started Awana, and because my dad's dad was actually a drunk and uh, gone most of the time. Mm-hmm. So um, he came to Christ from some, excuse my expression, but some little old lady that basically told him he should go to Sunday school. How many little old ladies have led people to Christ? And, well, she didn't leave. She just told him to get to church. And, and that's what they did and, back then. Yeah, and he did, and he became a believer. And then he started to get discipled, and he got involved in the youth work there. And that youth work eventually became Awana. Um, and he was with them until the day he died. He actually started their foreign mission program. And then until the day he died, he was basically influential in there, either on their board or doing something. And he and Art Rohrheim, who was the really founder and director for years, uh, just were best friends. And until Art died... I think he was almost 100 years old when he died. He was a dear friend of mine, would call and talk to me. And um, and one of the ministries my dad started, I, I realized we were supposed to tell you who I was. Exactly. Not, not my dad. But um, one of the ministries he started was Silver Birch Ranch. He always wanted to start a camp in Wisconsin because he believed that every local church should be involved in camping for evangelism and leadership training. So he actually started several camps. His first camp he started was in the southern part of the state called Phantom Ranch Bible Camp. And that was when he was with Midwest Bible Church in Chicago. And then he was with uh, Emmanuel Bible Church in Berwyn. Um, he actually was in Lawndale area for a while in Chicago. And during that time period, he started Silver Birch Ranch. And then when... That was 1960? 68. 68, It was the okay. first summer. 67 is actually when he, he purchased the camp. He walked the grounds and saw the grounds and purchased it um, with a borrowed down payment and just went back to his church and said, ah, we started a place. He was a very visionary kind of guy. And so I went to Wheaton College, graduated, uh, taught school for three years while I got my master's and, and really felt led to move up to Silver Birch Ranch and start the year-round work. So there were six of us who all quit our jobs, moved up north and started the year-round work at Silver Birch Ranch. And now it's just about 40 years later and we're still there, and God is still working, and, and the programs have developed to where there's summer camp, year-round retreat ministries. We minister to schools. Nicolay Bible Institute mm-hmm. has developed where it's a one-year college program uh, that allows people to know the Bible and learn how to die to themselves. We have a, a program, Wolf River Refuge, and then we have uh, some podcast programs 
uh, that um, can be found um, if you go to our website. So that's um, relate three sixty five. Relate three sixty five dot com. Okay. Uh, yep, we have a studio right on grounds. And so uh, we're, we're excited about what God's doing there and keep pressing forward. So I'm the president of that ministry, and, and that's, I guess, so, who I am. Did I answer your question? Sort of. Um, are you, so how often does your camp uh, have events? Well, it never stops, except for between Thanksgiving and Christmas, it's kind of quiet. Um, and usually on Mother's Day, it's kind of quiet. And usually at Easter, it's kind of quiet. Other than that, you know, on the weekends, we can have up to 300 people. And uh, the college is always there, Nicolay Bible Institute. In the summer, we feed about 400 a meal uh, from uh, Memorial Day to Labor Day. And various church groups and various youth camps go on, and they can check all that out at silverbirdranch.org. How many people do you have on staff there? We have 20, I think. I know I'm in charge. I should know this. Uh, I think now 20. you know how I feel yeah. when you're on the show. Yeah, yeah, 20. You're asking me questions, yeah. and I'm stare, yeah, staring blah, at blah, you. Blah. How you like it? Yeah, I like it. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I like it. Um, I have, we have twenty, a couple part time, and the rest are full time. And but but the camp is mostly ran by because I've been to a couple of your men's retreats and and some church events because because you work with churches right for their men's retreats and marriage retreats right. and then and then and we and have then. our own yeah. So in fact, this last weekend there was a men's retreat up there and six men came to Christ and I was speaking to them. It's just when you see a, a man in his forties, fifties coming to Christ, it's just a thrill because those are those are ones that. I, those are hard to talk to about changing their life and, and changing what they think. And so I was just thrilled to be a part of that this weekend. And it, it was a church group that came up. Um, they came up, and, and basically I spoke, but they came. They just asked me if I would speak, and I happened to be there that weekend. So that worked out well. And so that's how it's used. We like to develop the church. We're not the church. And we still remember in the summer, boy, I tell you, I honestly believe that anyone that's got a young person in high school, they should send their high school young person to a place like Silverbird Tranch, have them work for nothing for four to eight weeks and just learn to work and learn to give and learn to serve and be in a place where they learn the Bible at the same time. Uh, they'll develop friendships like you would not believe. And they would also be in a position where God could really speak to their hearts because you get them out of the cities and out of the, their normal comfort zones for the summer. Away from their devices, their friends yeah. and the yeah, it's really, negative influences. It can be very powerful. I I bet you see a lot of returning faces. Oh, we do. We do. Because so, I, I know that once I went, uh, I think the first time I went there was a couple of years ago, uh, we did a return for the, to the Word retreat for uh, Q90 listeners. Right, right. And I was just, um, there's so much to do. I got to say this, there's so much to do. You got all of these activities to do, and I don't even know what they are. Yeah. Because there's the, the teaching was so powerful, I had to go back to my cabin and just reflect and study and pray yeah um but i mean you got shooting and horses and canoes and all that other. you know that's the fun thing when i first started years ago i i really didn't know what i was doing i was trained in education i was a teacher i taught fifth grade for three years and i've been at camp all my life so i understood camping but i really asked god to give us i pray for four things that it would happen and i still pray for those four things And, and the number one thing is that we're effective at our mission and our mission is really to know Christ and to make him known. It's a pretty simple mission. And so that's the goal. Can we be effective at knowing Christ and making him known? The second one is we really want to be a safe place. Our nation needs a place where people can go and be safe. And this is the most challenging at times because uh, the people that come to summer camps, I don't care what camps they are, are coming out of the regular world. And the regular world is a very unsafe place. And we need to keep stressing to people there's an emotional safety, a sexual safety, a spiritual safety that people need to experience. And uh, so we try and, and really focus on that so that, you know, my goal is the old guy there is to, to if, if a child, when they leave, the goal is really, did they leave and they just look back and go, wow, that was something. The whole week I felt safe. I didn't get bullied. I didn't have this happen. I didn't have that happen. Now, I'd like to say we achieved that 100% of the time. But we still deal with people who come from the real world, and, and we have to work at it. But it, that's the goal, is to be safe. The third uh, aspect that I keep praying for is that we're fun. And uh, since I'm Swedish, I delegate that to Italians and other people who actually have fun. Uh, I'm kidding, and if you think I just said something politically incorrect, I probably did. But I am Swedish, so that's the way that goes. But the bottom line really is, you know, we, we believe that relationships are actually forged on activities. So people... 
uh, they do zip lines and ride horses mm-hmm. and and do rafting and we have uh, you know a skeet range and you know mm-hmm. it, we have we have all kinds of stuff that people do while they're there and unless it's a consumable we let everybody do it for free in other words once you pay your fee we want you to just do it because we don't want rich and poor people there and and divide people up and so uh, that, you know that's the third goal is that we're fun and and the last goal that I have is that we're affordable uh, to my knowledge we've never turned a child away that that has let us know that they can't come because of finances. Um, that's really not what we're about. We want everyone to come that can come and that would benefit from coming. And so uh, we just trust that God will um, you know, prick the hearts of adults, former campers, businesses to keep us going. And uh, I tell you, the challenge in the future, we, we really want to get to the point, and we're working on that now, where we can help more uh, young people that have been adopted or in the foster care system, and we're working on plans for that right now. So we're we're excited about the future and serving the local church and serving the people, but that's kind of the extent of the ministry now, what I really do when I'm not here on Q90 talking to you guys. And uh, you're also on the board of directors here at Lakeshore Communications, have oh, been yeah. for a couple of years. Yeah, I am. And so um, now the topic this morning, we're visiting with Dave Wager from, uh, from Silver Birch Ranch up north and also Nicolay Bible Institute. And uh, you feel led to talk about uh, the passage uh, in the Gospels where John the Baptist, when they would come to him for teaching or for some wisdom, he would say, he must increase, I must decrease. Because they'd come to him and say, what about this with Jesus? What about this with Jesus? What about this with Jesus? You know, I think that's a temptation for every human being is to try and elevate our own importance. You know, the truth is, when I used to speak years ago, um, and now I speak from my my iPad, so I don't really have a paper copy with me often. But when I used to, I would open my Bible, and in the front of my Bible, I used to keep a picture of a donkey. And I would look at it before I'd speak, because God used a donkey to speak for him. Mm -hmm. And I always wanted to remind myself, you are so replaceable. I mean, God can pick, you know, a stone and have it sit up and speak for himself. I never wanted to get to the point where I thought, you know what, you're, you're really important and valuable, and, and people need to have you around so they can understand something. I, I just don't believe that. I don't see it in the scriptures, and I don't think that to this day. I, I think even talking to you today, Crash, is a privilege, but you don't need me here. You, you, if God wanted to you know, get a stone to talk, you'd probably have a, even a better conversation, and people would be more enthralled by the whole process. I think uh, I'm looking forward to one day talking to a rock. Yeah, well, because yeah, I'm. I've always been intrigued by that when he said, if, "Tell your kids to be quiet," and he said, "If they don't praise me, the 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 stones will praise." Yep. Um, but back to have you ever been when you were talking about you look at this donkey? Um, I've, I'm fascinated when I hear teachers say, "Holy Spirit, speak through me." Have you ever been in a situation where you're going, "I'm not feeling it today." I don't oh. know what's going on here, but I'm just, I think this is Dave Wager, not the spirit. Maybe I need to sure back off a little yeah, bit. You here. know, I, th- I think, first of all, I think we need to be very careful and and not allow our feelings to direct anything. I, I think we, we really need to think it through, and it's really hard to sometimes really know what God is doing. Um, but I tell you what, what's interesting to me is there are times where I speak, and I know what I said, and I meet someone afterwards. And they look at me and they thank me and say, boy, that, that was profound. I say, everyone in a while, I say, what did you hear? Mm-hmm. And they'll tell me. And, you know, crash for the life of me, I don't think I said what they heard. I, I'm, I'm thinking about how they were touched by something. I'm thinking that wasn't even one of my points. Let me write that down because I'll use that next time. Yeah, you know what? I mean, it's like, well, where did you get that from? It's amazing to me that as I speak, God could take the words that I say and he can use them any way he pleases to use them. And I think in some people with their backgrounds and, and the things in their life that are happening, I might say one thing, and they're thinking something, and God starts to spin it around in their brain. And because they're in that environment where they're wanting to learn and they're subjecting themselves to wanting to learn, I, I think God speaks to their heart. So I think there are times where um, God shows how minimal I really am um, in the whole process. That if I'm willing to get up there and speak, now there are other times where people have said something, you know, if I ask them what it is they're thinking about, it is exactly what I said, and God Mm -hmm. used that. So it's just interesting to me that that God is looking for those who love him, 
who are his children, who will talk about their love for him and their journey in this relationship with him. Now, uh, did you have a quote or some scripture that you wanted to well, share? Well, you know what? I, I just want to ask you a question, or not a question. I want to say, you know, the most important things in life are relationships, right? Okay. So relationship, when God, when Jesus is asked, you know, uh, what's really important, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mm-hmm. mind, love your neighbor as yourself. So that's a, those are relational things. And if people have listened to Stand Up or Young or Old or any of the other stuff that we do, they realize I, I often say, you know, you should never love what you should use and don't use what you should love. So you don't use people, you love people. You don't love money, you use money. And that's just a general rule. But relationships, a lot of people are looking for love. They're looking for a relationship. And what I would like to suggest is that relationships are forged. They're not found. You don't, you don't look and say, oh, now I have a relationship. I found a relationship. No, you forge relationships. You go and, and your relationships will be at different levels with different people. Because what you're doing is you're constantly asking God when you see people, what do I need to do for this person? What do I need to do for them? What do I need to do to make their life all it can be? And you begin to look how you can invest into the lives of people around you. You look at how, how can I reflect who Jesus is so that they could understand who God is. One of the greatest challenges today for young people is that they have examples of what it looks like to walk with God. They need examples of what marriages look like that are Christ-centered marriages. They need examples of what generosity looks like. They need examples of what kindness looks like. Because they're growing up in a world where, where they are totally confused on so many areas of life. And, and they're confused because they're listening to the winds out there. The, I mean, if you watch the news right now crash and you're watching what's going on in Washington, D.C., you're watching, it, how much of life makes sense? You know, it just looks like people are arguing and hating each other and, and there's no right and there's no wrong and everybody's trying to prove their point. Before long, if you keep hearing stuff like that, what happens is you close your ears because you're so frustrated and you can't tell what the truth is anyway. What's really important is the people in my life, they're not in my life to benefit me. They're in life so that I can benefit them. And if everybody thought that way, they'd be loving one another the way they shouldn't. And and those relationships are are forged instead of just found. Um, Most of us, I mean, why would you crash? Why would you get into a relationship in the first place? Why? Well, I guess uh, when you get into, uh, depending on, it depends on what kind of relationship it is, but uh, hopefully it'll be a beneficial situation for everybody involved. Okay, but uh, most of the time, if I'm honest, I, I get into a relationship because it benefits me. Somehow it benefits me. If I'm in business, I get in a relationship with you because somehow I get money out of you. And now I have a relationship with you. So you're saying transactional. Yeah, some kind of of motive on why I have a relationship with somebody, anybody. You know, and when I think about that, I think, you know what? What if if the reason we had relationships was just for the other person and not for us? Could it work that way? Could it actually work if I really thought about others and their best before me well biblically it has to well biblically it does but that's in a lot of people that's a theory but that's not reality i mean when we think about relationships we think about uh, let's just take two people want to get married and and sometimes it's probably not unusual to say well you know i have certain needs that need to be met in this marriage okay so now i'm thinking about me and what i get out of this marriage what if I don't think about me? What if I think about what does this person actually, what can I do for them to make their life what it should be? And, and what can I do for them so that they have uh, the best opportunity to live life the way God made them to live? What if I'm focused on them and not me in a relationship? What would it look like? So if uh, when you were coming in this morning, driving in from Silver Birch Ranch, I mean, uh, was 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 it John three thirty? He must increase and I must decrease. Is yeah. that was what was in your mind? Absolutely, because I'm sitting there thinking, okay, how do you get to the point in life where the only thing you're thinking about is 
regardless of what goes on in my life, I want God to increase. I want to be aware of him more. I want him to be shown more. I want to demonstrate him more. Because in my life in the United States of America right now, it seems like there's an awful lot that can be on my agenda. So how do I get to the point, and we can talk about this in the remaining segments we have left, but how do I get to the point where he, I really honestly say he must increase and I must decrease? Our guest today live is Dave Wager from Silver Birch Ranch and Nicolay Bible Institute. I'm Crash, and we'll be back with more Stand Up For The Truth in a moment. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Crash filling in for David this morning on Stand Up For The Truth, and we're visiting live with Dave Wager from Silver Birch Ranch, Relate365.com. John the Baptist, 330, says... He must increase, I must decrease. So um, that was easy for John to do because he didn't have all the stuff we had to deal with today. Yeah, well, uh, let me ask you this. When John said that, theologically, can God increase any more than he already is? Theologically? (laughs) He's already Uh, as big as he's going to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when you think about it, he can't get bigger. Yeah, he's peaked. Yeah, so when, when this is said, he must increase, I must decrease, he's not talking theologically here. He's not talking theory here. So what's he talking when he says that? Because mm-hmm. he's not saying, God, you need to get bigger than you are now. Well, no, God can't get bigger than he is now. He's already as big as he's ever going to be. So when, when, when we're saying he must increase and I must decrease, it's, all right, you know what? I, I still believe this crash down deep in my heart. Every human being has the desire to be God, to sure. take his place. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and really, we have to understand that, that we want to take on God's characteristics. We want to be omnipresent, so we love knowing what's going on all over the world. We want to be uh, you know, all-powerful, so whatever we want, we want to see done, and we want to know that we can control that. that we take on characteristics that really only belong to God. And when we do that, we get miserable because we're not really created to enjoy those characteristics anyway. What I was thinking about, though, was, was the brevity of, of life and how fast things can change and how if I make it all about me, how disappointed I will be one day because it's, it's not about me. The reality is that the universe is not about Dave Wager. Everything in life is not about Dave Wager. My relationship with my wife is not just about me. It isn't about pleasing me. It isn't about, that's not what it's about. Um. It's interesting, if I read the Weiss translation on John 3.30, and the Weiss translation is just a more expanded translation, it says, it is necessary in the nature of the case for that one to become constantly greater, but for me to constantly be made less. In other words, it's, it's, it's important that I constantly work at making sure that Dave Wager does not take the throne that the world in which Dave Wager lives in, Dave Wager recognizes on a regular basis that he's not in charge. And, and I guess I would ask you, Crash, and our listeners, what are you doing actively in life to make sure that you are reminded that you're not on the throne? Proactively. Yeah, what are you doing? What are you doing to do that? Because every one of us has a tendency to slide that way. You know, it's like we're going to slide to the point where somehow we're in charge. Or we're going to find some way that we're in charge. If you can't do anything else, you'll kick a cat because you're bigger than the cat. You know what I mean? And it, eventually you do something that, that says, I have authority and I have power. Is it even possible for us to get to the point where we say, I have no authority. I have no power. Only God has that. And I subject myself to him 100% of the time. Is that even possible to do? And I would say I think it is. Yeah, I believe it is also. But I don't think it happens because we just accidentally do it. Well, I think the, uh, I, when you were uh, when you were talking a while ago, I, I thought of the C.S. Lewis quote: "Humility is not thinking less of yourself; it's thinking of yourself less." Right. And um, I, I, I'll just chime in. Years ago, my prayer was always humility. Uh, I'm praying for humility, godly humility, because that's the only way I think that can even happen is humbling yourself before that. Yeah. You know, once you know God, again, if you don't know God, you're not humble. Because if you know God, 
you realize his power, his authority, you realize his love, you realize your dependence upon him. And everything goes back to knowing him. I guess my question would be, with all that we have in the scriptures, with all the theology we know with the church as we have it today, what's happened along the way? How has it become more about me and less about God and somehow acceptable in that way? You know, somehow we we can justify if we get together making life a little bit more about us. You know, I can say, well, you know what? I need to take care of myself first um, with my finances. I mean, we can talk about that for a minute. Um, Specific areas in our life. How do we become more about God with our finances and less about us? I mean, how do you do that? Do you start thinking, okay, I think that the church today thinks, okay, in many respects, if I give 10%, that's pretty good, and the rest of it is mine to use. I would like to change the thinking and have people think, no, 100% of it's God's. 10% of it, 10% of it, the first 10%. You make sure to give away, and hopefully to your local church, you know, whoever, wherever you're getting shepherd, you 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 give ten percent of the first away to remind you that the ninety percent belongs to him, and and then you ask God, and and some of that ninety percent will probably be there to buy your food, some of it will probably be there to put a roof over your head, but if it's really all God's resources, and you're really trusting God. The question comes down to what you actually have faith in and how do you make your life more about who God is and his love and showing his his faithfulness to you and less about you? This doesn't usually happen when you've got money that you trust. Uh, I've often been asked, uh, Crash, about how much money somebody should have put away, whether it be an organization like Q90 or whether Mm -hmm. it be how much money should we have put in the bank. And, and you know what? I don't know why anyone asked me because my answer is always the same. I don't know how much you should put away because I'm Dave. I'm not God. I don't know the future. I don't know what he's got planned for you. I don't know why he gave you the resources, but I promise you this. He didn't give me resources or you resources so that we could be self-indulgent. That's not why he gave them to us. He didn't give them to us so that we would not trust him, but we would trust the money. So if I trust the money at all in my life or the resources, whatever they might be, if I trust them, then they're out of place. They have become what's increased, not God. They've increased in value. They've increased in numbers. And they've increased in how they influence my life. Well, well, I would be saying to somebody who is honestly evaluating themselves, saying, yes, this money has increased in value, increased in influence. God needs to increase, and that needs to decrease. And then you would need to think about ways how you can do that. Because you really need to be concrete, and you need to be intentional about changing the way you think. And if you're just thinking in a capitalistic society, often we think about how we benefit from whatever we're doing. And, and the mind frame is really, how do we show God through this, and how do others benefit through this in what I'm doing? And that changes the whole directive of what, what we do. So I, I keep wondering, what is it in the United States of America especially that, that keeps us from making God more important and us less important? Um, and maybe my mind works at a really weird level. Uh, but I was reading in the book of Revelation, the 18th chapter, the first verse, and it says, it says this. And he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. And I stopped and I thought, okay, I don't know, you know who Babylon is right now in the book of Revelation, and I'm not going to get into the theological debates on everything, but I do know that Babylon falls very quickly. But the fall wasn't really quick. You know, when you go back, uh, Crash, you go back to, to when Mary, and I've talked about this before, though, but you go back to where Mary was told by, by God, you're going to conceive a child and you're going to be a virgin. All right? That was really weird news to her. <laughs> and when you go back to that, one of the things that's said about Mary is she pondered that in her heart. All right? She thought about it. If you really expand that out, what she was doing was she was guarding it. It, it, that would be almost a better word than pondering it. 
She was guarding it. In other words, where did she get that information from? When she was told she was going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit, who told her that? Or the angel. Okay, so that's God's authority, right? Mm-hmm. So think about it for a second. She comes out of that, okay, meeting with God, whatever whatever you want to call it, and she goes out and she tells people, I'm, go- I'm a virgin and I will be pregnant. What do you think everybody's going to say to her? Where's the stash? Yeah, you know. <laughs> Yeah, no one's going to believe her. So you know what she had to decide from the beginning? She had to decide to guard what was given to her, entrusted to her. She had to decide to think about it and guard where that came from. In other words, she had to limit listening to other smart people. She had to limit that. Likewise, uh, another time it's used with Mary is when Jesus, uh, remember when he was a young man and he went to, in, and they left and he was still in the temple mm-hmm. and they had to go back and get him. And he was talking about, well, I, I was about my father's work and all that kind of good stuff. Well, there again in that passage, Mary is told, or Mary basically pondered those things that he was talking about. What she did again was guard them. She realized that what he was saying was true. Now, the rest of the people around her might be saying, you got to spank the hide off that boy. He shouldn't be doing that in the temple. You know, I mean, I'm sure there were people around her that were giving her different advice other than understanding what Jesus actually said. And I'm sure when she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit and the rest of the people saw it, we know that because of Joseph and, and how he had to be convinced as well, that the people of her day would not accept what she just said. So she had to guard what was said, the way it was said. She had to guard it. She had to think about the source of it. One of Satan's great tools in our life is to get us to think about things that are contrary to the truth. No matter how he gets us there, he doesn't really care. We're not a people who necessarily value guarding the truth. So you got to love Stand Up for the Truth program as we talk about guarding the truth. We're not a people in general. And here in Revelation 18.1, I I circled some words. I circled the word, (laughs) word, it's words, dwelling place for demons. Somehow Babylon had become a place where satanic thought process and demons were comfortable. And here's what we know throughout all scripture. Demons are never comfortable in the presence of God. So Babylon was not being led by God. It was not a place where God was honored. It was not a place where he increased. I look at our country right now, and, and honestly, Crash, there are so many evil, demonic things that are going on in it. I, I, and I'm you know, politically incorrect, I know, but the idea of abortion, the idea of, of marrying anybody they want to marry, the idea of uh, more than two genders. These are evil things. And a nation that starts to accept those things is going to be in trouble because it becomes a place where demons are comfortable dwelling. And we can't be that place. We need to be a place, you know, when, just if you want a fun study, go through the New Testament and, and follow Jesus around in the New Testament and watch when, when demons were around. What happened? Yep. Man, they went nuts. You know, first of all, they always acknowledged him as God. Yep, yep. He tried to shut them up. Yeah. And then they needed to do something. And wherever they went, it was not good. Remember, it's like they came to him, you know, can we go into those pigs? Sure. Boom. Pigs run off a cliff. You know what I mean? And by the way, that cliff was pretty far away. So those pigs had to run a long way and then fall off the cliff. The demons made their life miserable. I think that one of the things that we have to do in America as Christians is we need to guard the truth like Mary guarded it. We need to ponder and know where it came from. Look, it came from God, the genders. In the beginning of the Bible where it said, and God created a male and female, that came from God. We need to understand that's what he said and guard that. I don't care what anybody else says. It doesn't matter what society says. It doesn't matter what psychology says. It doesn't matter what you feel. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. What matters is you got to guard the source where it came from. And God's the one that said he created them male and female. There's a distinction there. And if we lose that crash, what we lose is the idea that Different roles are acceptable, they're good, they're right, and we're all created uniquely. I was created a male. I wasn't created a female. I, 
My wife was created a female. She wasn't created a male. We are different. We have different roles. We do different things. We think different ways. This is good. We're not talking about either one of us being better or worse. We're talking about us being different, and God made each one of us different. But he didn't make 38 genders or however many people are trying to pass off right now. He made male. He made female. So what I have to do when I hear that stuff, I want to turn it off. I, you know, I don't want to start filling my head with all the logic and all the ideas. I, I need to ponder what God said, just like Mary did. She had to, when people started to tell her, oh, you can't be a virgin. You know, I, I imagine she got told that enough where she might have been thinking, maybe I'm not a virgin. Maybe something happened to me while I was sleeping. You know, no, God said, you put it back in the perspective that you have. God told you this is what was going to happen. And, and it happened that way. And when you start to doubt it, you need to go back to the source and say, no, I'm guarding that piece of information. That information cannot be changed. And the information right from the beginning of the Bible where God made male and female, it cannot be changed. That is not something that we change. Uh, the idea of sin, you know, God gave Adam an opportunity to listen and Eve, and they didn't, and they sinned, they separate from God. Okay, that's what happened. You can try and change the story all you want. You can try and change the idea of creation. The Bible in Genesis says that God created you know, and what we need to be able to do is say, okay, that's what God said. Now, I need to guard it because there's an awful lot of people out there trying to twist your arm or brain and trying to get you to feel like maybe that's not true. We, you know, one of the problems for Babylon was it was a dwelling place for demons. It was a place where they were actually comfortable. And we need to understand that and stay away from that. And so I want to encourage um, all of our listeners, guard what has been entrusted to you. Read the Bible, study the Bible, know what it says, and when you start hearing anything that goes against that, turn it off. So it is, he must increase and I must decrease. So that is guard our thoughts, guard, yeah. guard, guard our God's truth from what the world is, is telling us. That's what I'm talking about. Stand up for the truth. Our guest today is Dave Wager from Silver Birch Ranch and Nicolay Bible Institute. More when we come back. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Crash in for David this morning and Dave Wager from Silver Birch Ranch, Relate365.com, Nicolay Bible Institute. Topic uh, this hour is He Must Increase and I must decrease. And uh, so we've been sharing some scriptures, Revelation 18, 1. I, I haven't spent too much time in that one. That's uh... No, well, you know what? It, it It's something that just kind of grabs me as I'm reading through it, and I begin to ponder different things, like why? how does a place become a dwelling place for demons? I think that's a good question to ask, and, and could I possibly do that? It goes on. There's some other words in there. It says, she has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. Now, the word haunt means uh, a place where they appear or a frequent visitor. So it's basically, they be, uh, you know, unclean spirits, detestable beasts, they're frequent visitors to these people. And I think, you know what, when you look at what's being produced in Hollywood, when you look at how much media we're putting into our brains about things that we shouldn't be looking at, I don't know the statistics, Crash, maybe you do, but um, aren't there a lot of movies about with violence in them? Well, I'm sure there's a few. And, and television I can't tell programs. you the last time I watched a movie. Yeah, the bottom line really is you look at our country, we have problems with people wanting to shoot each other and make you know some kind of dramatic statement or whatever. And then you look at the movies and it, well, yeah, and video games. Yeah, and video games that you know once can a video game be out there and not be violent? You know, I don't know. I haven't looked at all of them. I I know Pac Man was pretty violent to those little dots at eight. You know, whatever it might be, but that's probably the last video game I ever played. Uh, the bottom line really is. A lifestyle that keeps allowing the voice of the world to infiltrate it is going to be a lifestyle that begins to compromise in its truth. We need to immerse ourselves in what's right and make sure that when something's wrong and it starts to get into our minds and our heads, we need to identify it as wrong. I think so many times, uh, I'll give you an example of how to do this. So many times I think we might be watching television 
and we're with our family and our whole family's there and something comes on the screen that is either demeaning to women or sexually suggestive, something like that. And nothing is said. So you got little girls sitting there and they're watching this and nobody says that's wrong. So what's happening is even though you believe it's wrong, you don't want to point it out maybe, you don't want to necessarily talk about it, but what's happening is we're allowing this this little introduction to things on how they can be and how they are some other place. And eventually, you know what happens? The garbage that's delivered through the television becomes normal to us. We're comfortable with it. It's a dwelling place now. It's, a, it's, it's okay to be in our homes. Um, I mean, oftentimes, I know I'm on the outside looking in on this one, and people say, oh, it's just a show, whatever. But, you know, if I do watch the Super Bowl, I'm, a lot of times I'll skip some of the ads. I'll, I'll skip the halftime. You know, I don't want to see it. Mm-hmm. It's because I don't want to be comfortable with some things. I really don't. Um, and I, I think we need to be careful because the more comfortable we become with the evil around us, the more comfortable the evil becomes dwelling in our midst. And as that happens, I think we become like a Babylon place ready for being devoured. Now, when change happens, Crash, it can happen pretty quickly. You know, I mean, it it can happen very quickly, actually. Revelation 18.3 says, For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. Talk about Babylon. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. This is describing the problem with Babylon that's going to fall quickly. You know, the idea of, of not only are we a nation that, are, or not only is Babylon a nation, or a country where the evil is acceptable, but they're known for their sexual immorality. They're known for what goes on there. When, when you look at the United States of America, um, man, the pornography issues, the the sex uh, trafficking that that can happen, the you know the the homosexuality movement, the I mean, you just look at all the perversions that can take place. And yes, I did use the word perversions, and that's becoming normal in our culture. And um, it, it's like Revelation eighteen three is talking about us. Um, the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. You know, they use us uh, to justify their laws or whatever it might be. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Um, there's, there's those that begin to worship the money and, and go where the money is. And the money is what is important. Uh, the fourth verse in the 18th chapter, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. See, there's the answer. Don't, don't dwell in that stuff. Don't allow that. You know, I, I really think that when you see something on television that's not right, turn it off. Uh, when you hear something that's not right, mention it's not right, especially if there are kids there. That's not right. Dave, that is, uh, when you were talking about guarding and stuff, uh, and I I have to chime in that it's something in our home when we uh, are watching TV or whatever, and we will have those discussions. And uh, just last night, uh, there was a show that my wife used to watch every Sunday. And Sunday is our prayer time, family prayer time, right before we start the week off. And uh, we had to put it off for an hour because it was, it was called The Rookie. And she just loved watching a show about a rookie cop. Okay. She was really into that. It was just something she wanted to do. And I decided, okay, Sunday nights, it's going to be The Rookie. She'll even turn off a football game. Sure. And so Sunday night, I said, um, oh, we got to get home. So you can see the rookie. She says, I'm not watching it anymore. And I said, oh, why is that? Oh, reruns? She said, no. She said uh, they had uh, a recent episode where two men kissed on it. She yep. said, I'm done. And I was really blessed by that. I high-fived her. I went, "You, because Dave, you have to know how much she was really into that show. Sure. And she said, that's it. Stop and she stopped and she stopped watching it, yeah. and that's because we had those discussions. Is this something we need on in our home? Yeah, maybe a TV commercial. When I'd like, why did you turn off the TV? I'm going. I don't need that in my home. Yeah, you know, and, somehow people who get to uh, where they're hard to the spirit of God and they're they're making their lives increase. Somehow you got to get to where the the evil is normalized. Somehow you got to get to where it's in your head. Well, look at the drag queens. 
right. uh, in the school libraries, right. kindergarten libraries. Yeah. Well, Revelation 18, 4 says, come out of her, my people. Don't, don't be in that influence. And, and then it goes on to say, there's a comma after my people. And it says, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. You know, there is a penalty. Yes. When you live as you're not supposed to live, there is a problem down the road that you will encounter. And it's the same problem as the godless will because you're embracing the same thing. And it's important that you understand that. If you go on and read the fifth and sixth verse, it says, For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion in her in the cup she mixed. Just going on and looking, I said, look, this is, life isn't really complicated. Evil makes life complicated. A good life, a right life, a decent life is not complicated. Because it, it, I am not about me if I'm living right. I'm about the people around me. I am not going to sit there and allow entertainment to come on into my home that demeans women, that has sexually suggestive things. I don't know how many people tell me, oh, David, it's just make-believe. Yeah, I know. that Satan's looking for a way to get into your brain. Um, I, one of my favorite books to read um, have you ever read Pilgrim's Progress? No, I have not. Okay, well, it's not Pilgrim's Progress, so good. That's not the one I'm talking about. I'm talking about the other book that Bunyan wrote, which is called The Holy War. It is one of the best allegories I've ever read ever. It's just so accurate about the, the spiritual battle that goes on in the life of a believer. And in The Holy War, um, Satan tries to gain access to the town of Mansoul. And just that beginning part of the dialogue is worth reading. Because Satan can't get access to the town of Mansoul. I think his name in this book is Diabolus. But he can't get access to Mansoul without the insiders opening the gate. There you go. That's how he gets access. And there are only five gates. There's the eye gate and the nose gate and Mm -hmm. the ear gate and the mouth gate and the feel gate. Mm -hmm. Those are the five gates to the city. There's only five ways in. You know, I compare it to, my, my father-in-law was a, a family doctor, one of the old-fashioned kind, and he used to actually make house calls. And I actually have his, his bag at home, which is kind of fun. And uh, one of the things I, I would ask him, when he practiced medicine for like 100,000 years, um, I asked him, he didn't get sick while he practiced medicine, but he's around sick people all day <laughs> long. And so I asked him, I said, well, why don't you get sick? I mean, everyone else are coming home from school. They're getting a flu. You know, you go to work, you come home. Why don't you get sick? You, everyone that gets sick goes to you. He says, because I wash my hands. I said, no, really. He said, Dave, just think about it for a second. In order for you to get sick, the germ has to get inside of you somehow. So after I'm done examining you, I wash my hands. If you get anything out of this broadcast, that is great wisdom. You have no idea. Yeah, well, I mean. Washing your hands will change your life. Absolutely. Well, he said this, you know, I wash my hands after I meet with somebody Mm -hmm. or even before I meet with them. Then I wash my hands after. Then I go into another room and before I meet with them, I wash my hands again. And, And he said, I probably wash my hands like, you know, a thousand times a day. But he said, Dave, I want you to remember this. The germ as it gets on your hand, you have to rub your eye, pick your nose, put it in your mouth, put it in your ear. Somehow, that germ has to get in your system. And if you eliminate that possibility, you eliminate most diseases. And I thought, oh, it's that simple. So now, actually, at Nicolay Bible Institute, I always tell the students, if you get sick, it's because you put your finger in your nose, so stop it, or in your mouth, or in your ear. And better yet, wash your hands. And whenever we've had like a, a flu go around camp or something, I usually go and I start giving the counselors, you know, a spray bottle, some antiseptic, wipe all the doorknobs down, tell you people to wash their hands. We put, you know, hand sanitizer at the front of the line, you know, for everyone going through the food service. And, you know, whenever we do that, the flu stops. It stops because we're eliminating the germ. It can't get in people. Now, I'm not saying they can't sneeze in each other's face and do it on their own and, you know, I mean, all kinds of stuff. I understand that. But, but the bottom line really is there's a principle about germs. And I would say 
consistently there's a principle about spiritual germs that you need to be very careful about what you let into your eye gate and your ear gate and your nose gate, your mouth gate, your feel gate. You need to be very careful because if you read the Holy War, and I suggest you do if you like allegories, if you read it, you'll realize that once Diabolus got into a gate, he wreaked havoc. He just needed to get in. And what's really interesting in that little allegory that John Bunyan wrote was he would do anything to get in. Lie, cheat, steal, whatever he needed to do to get in those gates, he would do it because he realized there's no possible way in unless they open it. I have to get them to open the gate. I hope that our listeners would think about that when they're watching television or listening to something, podcast, YouTube, media is on, news reports. I think the minute you recognize something that is going the wrong direction, we don't need to normalize that. What we need to do is expose it as wrong, and that's why confession is important because part of a confessional process is saying, I'm wrong. I think another part of a confessional process is saying, that's wrong. I'm not going to watch that. It's not that it didn't already get out there, but it's important to acknowledge immediately that it's wrong because that is what allows us to stay healthy. And if not, then what's going to happen is we are going to be in trouble. The seventh verse of Revelation 18 says, As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her the like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. Most people don't realize that um, they're not in charge, and they keep putting themselves on the throne of life, keep believing they're in charge. You can just look around, and you can see how many times a day the unexpected happens to somebody. I mean, recently we saw the tragedy of uh, Kobe Bryant and his helicopter going down. And you think, well, man, the guy was young. He had a family. He's like, well, yeah, nobody planned this. Uh, this wasn't how he thought he'd start his day. This is realistic, unfortunately. And I think all of our hearts are broken because of the realistic thing that happens in life. And it could happen to any of us. He must increase. I must decrease. John 3.30 is uh, our topic verse this hour. And we're going to be wrapping it up in just a moment. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Crash in for David Fiorazzo, Dave Wager, our guest today. Dave, encourage parents uh, with children that are exposed to things of the world. How can we encourage them? They need models. They just need models that they love and respect. They may not agree with you all the time, but they need to see it modeled or they'll never do it in the first place. All right, Dave Wager, Silver Birch Ranch and Nicolay Bible Institute here. And uh, let's see, I'm not sure who's going to be in, but I know David Fiorazzo is going to be back on uh, Thursday with a new show here on Stand Up For The Truth. How can folks get in touch with Dave Wager? They can go to silverbergtranch.org or nicolaybibleinstitute.org and uh, just get in touch through the website page. And also uh, Relate365. Oh, Relate365.com is where all the podcasts are. So, And so you got Silver Birch Ranch, Nicolay Bible Institute, Wolf. River Refuge. Okay. And um, Relate365.com. Crash and for David Fiorazzo, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast today. Please, when we post the podcast, share it with others that you think will be able to benefit from that. Keep standing up for the truth for those things that matter.